I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget J. Paul Valenza. I'm Thomas O'Neill White. I'm Angelie Preston. And I'm Lorenzo Rodriguez. This is What's Next. A dedicated hour to have important conversations about the issues facing the marginalized and underrepresented communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We're gonna have some real healing. We've gotta have space to tell some uncomfortable truth. What's Next continues our mission to discuss race, equity, and the common concerns of Buffalo's East Side and beyond. In the suburban area everywhere, we must work and teach our children. Hello and welcome to What's Next. This is Lorenzo Rodriguez, and I'm sorry. I don't know if we have to whisper here. I'm I'm, I'm at the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library, Central Library, and I'm here with the director of said library, Mr. John Spears. How are you, John? I'm doing good, and you definitely don't have to whisper in library. I, I, I don't have to. Nope. I was always told by like. There's no librarians that are coming and shush us here. Not we're good. Not usually, as long as you're not gathering it. All right, I just want to check. I, I, this is this library etiquette. It's been ingrained in me. Uh, John, thank you so much for joining us once again on on what's next. No, thank you. It's good to be. I know you're already back. Our past iteration of Buffalo, what's next? So this is nice to have you back on here. And the reason you're on once more is to discuss an upcoming week. It's next week. It's a week that I'm very much familiar with since I was a grade schooler and and beyond. National Band Books Week. It's coming up next week, October 1st through the 7th. And I feel that, I mean, there's no, there's always a good time to talk about the, the things that are going on in our country and, and in our communities. But I mean, that's, I mean, it's right on the, hitting it on the nose there with Banned Books Week. John Spears is the director of the, of the Buffalo Erie County Public Library. Um, I was here earlier and, and you gave a press conference outside the Central Library out in Lafayette Square, surrounded by a whole, Colorful, beautiful lineup. Kudos to our art department here at the library and, and your staff because it. we'll get to some of the stuff inside, but I mean, outside, you have a whole lineup of all these books um, that, that just really convey the message that, that there are some very important novels, fictional work, memoirs, just literary work that, that have been challenged yes. and not so welcomed at times throughout our, our, our history here in the United States. Books that I'm kind of aware of, some not. One of the things that, that you said that, that stood out today, books are under profound attack. For those of us that may not be aware of what's going on right now in this country with literary censorship, please enlighten us. What's Banned Book Week all about? Book Week has existed for, for decades, and it's mm -hmm. been something that uh, the American Library Association and some other organizations have done to educate people as to censorship and the effort to remove materials from school and public libraries. And it's always been something that's existed kind of to just raise awareness about things that that happened, but they actually didn't happen that often. You know, it wasn't that frequent that items were challenged and it was less frequent that the items were actually removed. Starting around 2020, that changed. And we have seen efforts to remove items from school and public libraries just e explode. I mean, it went from a couple hundred instances a year to in the thousands. Mm -hmm. And that all happened in just the last few years. Also, there's a lot more success than what we saw in the past, especially in schools. Now, part of this is you're seeing it because of legislation, like uh, the legislation in Florida or Iowa or some other states that 
have been instituting legislation where they are actually designating some topics as you can't talk to students about this. This cannot be a part of the curriculum. This cannot be a part of, of their educational experience. So you've seen this huge increase. And so this year with Banned Books Week, um, it's something that libraries are are taking on in a way that they haven't in the past because it is so much more real now than it was. You know, this is this is the United States. This isn't supposed to be happening here. Right. But we are having books removed from library shelves. We are having librarians fired from their jobs. It just recently in, in Wyoming, in Campbell County, yep. the library director was fired for refusing to remove items from the shelf. And this isn't, you know, someone that was, you know, some library director that wasn't a part of the community. This is a woman that worked in that library for over 20 years and was beloved by the community and the board terminated her because she refused to remove the books from the shelves that, that they thought should be removed. We've had libraries that have been defunded. I mean, we, we've had libraries that have been vandalized. We've had threats. This is, it's different. It's, it's reached a level that we haven't seen in this country in a long time. And to be honest, it should scare people that this is happening. It's very Orwellian, very 1984, another banned book. Yes. It's very much Fahrenheit 451, almost another another, another banned, banned book. book. And yet here we are. We're almost living in these these dystopian uh, realities. But um, it's, as you stated, very, very troubling to hear that um, that these challenges are being successful because of a being aided by a certain legislation. In total, uh, we've doubled in the last two years the amount of challenges. It went from 729 in 2021 to 1,269 last year. And we're, well, still on our way. Yeah. Pace. yeah. And before that, it was just in the hundreds, like two or three hundred. Mm -hmm. uh, this is the, um, I believe it's the ALA, the American... Uh, Libraries Association. Yep. That, that keeps track of yeah, they have an Office of Intellectual Freedom that's been tracking these statistics for decades. And, you know, it kind of held steady for quite some time. And then in 2020, you just saw this, this like explosion. I wonder why 2020. I, I should have, I should go, go back and see what the correlation were, where that one took place. I don't know. Should probably research it at my pu local public yeah. library. No, there, there, there were two things in 2020 that, that kind of led to this. Um, that, that most people think. One was, of course, the pandemic. Uh -huh. uh, because a lot of what you're seeing actually started in schools and mm -hmm. has now kind of moved into public libraries. And so there was a real push during the pandemic for people to be able to reassert control. And then um, the other thing that happened in 2020 was um, the, the murder of George Floyd. Mm. And you saw a, a, a very intense and sudden kind of... Um, push for, for racial justice and to discuss the issues that led to that. And that is a large number of the items that are now being challenged are items that reevaluate uh, kind of the history of the United States that tell, a, to be honest, a more truthful history of the United States. Well, but that's, that's more inclusive. Yeah, that's one of the, the kind of the Orwellian aspects of this is that as we're gaining a more honest understanding of where we are as a country, um, there's this pushback in the supposed name of truth to censor the books that are actually 
shedding light on the lived experience of a large percentage of, of this country. You said it, it's, it's more movement for inclusion in our literary works, and those are being the targets of, of the, the censorship and this challenging. Um, a lot of people of color, it's LGBTQ plus authors, it's shedding light on, on different lives and different shared experiences that, that I guess some in this country aren't ready for. And, and we used to, we still are, I hope, a, a very understanding society. We should be, at least. We should be striving to be that. And yet you're seeing, what is it? I have a list here of the top 13 most challenged books of 2022. And we have, the top one is uh, Genderqueer. And we've got uh, All Boys Aren't Blue, uh, the Bluest Eye, uh, Flamer, those four dealing with with LGBTQ plus themes. And, and I spoke to the, the folks from GLIS, Gay and Lesbian Youth Services of Western New York. And the one thing that they, they pointed out that is so important is just the, 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 the fact that people understand that there's an, there are other voices like them out there. It, it's so paramount. It's so important. And we're trying to get away from it. We're trying to make our our colorful palette in the literary world that much black and white, for lack of a better phrase. And yeah, it's very troubling. Some of the things that the that the library is doing with this banned book week, um, there's 37 BECP libraries that are that are celebrating uh, and getting the word out on banned books week and raising awareness. It's been around for years that we established. What are we doing now? So with banned book week, um, we don't want it necessarily to be that that's the only thing. So this is an initiative that we kind of joined several months ago when we became a part of Unite Against Book Bans. Hmm. But this week is the week that we're really, you know, hitting things hard, letting the public know that this is an issue. But we don't plan on stopping at the end of that week. But we have a lot of activities going on, not just here in Buffalo, but we also have um, programs happening at libraries throughout through, throughout the county. And we've partnered with a lot of agencies. So we're working, for instance, with GLIS um, on Thursday, October 5th. Look at that. Uh, from 4 to 6, we're actually doing a program with uh, with GLIS of Western New York. And we're bringing in um, two of the students that really pushed back against uh, the attempted censorship at the Orchard Park School Libraries, um, uh, Jillian Yarns and, and, and Luke Lippitt. And they actually started a, a really successful group that was led by the students that said, we don't want to see our library, we don't want to see items removed, removed from the shelves. And so um, they're going to be speaking from from four to six in the Ring of Knowledge here at the Central Library. The beautiful Ring of Knowledge. It's right. really an awesome space. I, I will say our graphics department kind of nailed it with yes. this exhibit. Yeah. It, yeah. It's one of my favorites since I got here that I've seen them do. And it's not just an explanation about Band Book Week and kind of an exploration of the books that have been banned, there's even a section on what can people do. Um, you know, we wanted to make sure when this display was put up that it wasn't just information, but there was a call to action, that mm -hmm. there were concrete steps that people could take after looking at this in their own lives to help push back against this this effort. And, you know, if it's okay, one of the most, one of the best ones is one that anyone can do. And it's just be willing to talk about it. Mm -hmm. You know, have conversations with your friends, have uh, conversations with the people you work with about what is happening in the country. Because even if it's not happening to the extent here that it is in other places, it doesn't mean that it couldn't. 
And rights aren't something that should exist in one place and not exist in another. It's our when First Amendment. Yeah. When there's an attack on the First Amendment, it doesn't matter if it's in New York or California or Wyoming or West Virginia or Wisconsin. An attack on the First Amendment anywhere is an attack on the First Amendment everywhere. And the more people are willing to stand up and say, this is not who we are, and this is not something that should be tolerated in a free society, the better it will be. Because it's when people just stand back and don't say anything that this is allowed. That's when the book bans are successful. That's when directors, library directors are fired. That's when librarians are threatened. That's when items are removed from school shelves. That's when legislation is passed. It's when people are willing to stand up against it that we that hopefully we can start pushing that back. It's it's ironic, right? Because some of the these ardent critics that are that are causing the challenges, the censorship bans, are always drum, beating the drum of, of lay off my rights. These are my rights. I have the right to do this, the right to do that. I have the right to read whatever I want. Thanks to the First Amendment. Uh, when you when you control the, 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 the media, when you control what people read, what, what they ingest into their minds, uh, that that's a, that's a huge form of, of, of control. And uh, it's troubling I mean, these are some of the themes in the books that we've talked about that are banned. Uh, it's troubling that that we're, we're we're repeating some of these these errors, these these, these issues that we've seen in other parts of the world and and and, and before. Um, I hope that I mean, I, I always think that that we're it's a pendulum, right? And and we'll we'll, we'll correct and, and realign ourselves at some point in your future. But um, I think you said it correctly. It's it's having at least the conversation about this that's going on. And and hey, did you know a light in the attic? Was was banned at one point. I did not. I came out out here and and saw it on the on the wall, and I was like, wait a minute, Shel Silverstein's classic collection of poems that 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 was a pivotal book for me when I was a kid. And yeah, I mean Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web. Charlotte's Web has been. I had to ask. Has been. I had cast, to ask. Yeah. Uh, why why was that one? It's because of talking animals. Yes. It's sacrilegious because yeah. animals can't speak. They don't have logic. No common sense. And I'm like, really? That that's what. And you all have, but once I'm gonna now do some uh, pub for the library, you have the first manuscript, the handwritten manuscript of uh, of Huckleberry Finn. We do. Wow. Another noteworthy challenge, uh, challenge book yeah. uh, by Mark Twain. He lived here for, for some time of his life. He, he was an editor of the, the Courier. The Courier. Yep. Yes. Um, the really neat. I, I can't stress it enough to, to our listeners, to the people listening, that you got to come out and check out this library if you can. It's, it's beautifully adorned. And and just the fact that they have such wonderful things on display, but very fitting for for what we're talking about here. I was, I mean, people think of great American novelists and writers. Mark Twain's one of them. We almost didn't get one of his most important works because some people had they they weren't comfortable. They were they felt icky about its contents. You know that that happens a lot, and I think that that brings up you know a lot of people try to spin censorship along political lines. And the reality is actually that censorship can come from any side. It can come from the left. It can come from the right. Mm -hmm. And it's wrong no matter which direction right. it, it, it it comes from. Um, ideas, very often when people try to censor materials, they do it because, because they consider the ideas dangerous. And guess what? Yeah. Ideas are. They're dangerous because they're dangerous. New. They're newer. It, it, it's how we challenge ourselves and how we change our frame of mind and how we grow. Yeah. Uh, we grow in many ways, but intellectually we grow by hearing differing opinions, differing thoughts, 
and changing our minds to, to at least understand it. But it can also help us understand the past, mm -hmm. too. I mean, a lot of classic works are seen as dangerous because of the way they talk about the past. But having discussions around those works can help us understand how far we've come. It doesn't mean that we've arrived by by any stretch, but you know, but anytime works are challenged, very often you'll 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 hear it because it's because that's dangerous, because children should be exposed to it, because adults shouldn't be exposed to it, because it's outside the norms of of of, of what should be discussed. And you know, as librarians, we agree that parents have a say in how their children learn. Mm -hmm. We totally agree with that. What happens, though, unfortunately, very often with censorship is under the guise of parental rights, under the guise of controlling what your own children read, you take away that right from other parents. When you are removing an item from a library, whether it's a school or a public library, and saying, well, it's my choice that my child shouldn't read that, that is your choice. But if you're removing it, you're taking that choice away from every right. other parent. And that's where it gets really it's 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 selfish. Gets it's selfish and not not looking at the bigger picture. I want to know. You hope that it's not here on our doorstep, but have you faced any challenges to to the library to the books that are here? We have. Um, you know, the last time that this library actually totally removed a book was 1939. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, we, we, it, it, it's been over 90 years. Now, I don't want people to think that. They don't have a right to challenge materials. They do. And there have been times where I wouldn't say that we banned a book, but people have challenged things, for instance, because it might be a medical or scientific work that mm -hmm. is no longer accurate, and, and, and we missed it when we got it. it. So it, there is nothing wrong with the public pointing out items that they don't think belong on our shelves. And we will always evaluate it. The most recent time that we had a book challenged, and this was since I've been here, um, for the content in the sense that the person did not think it was appropriate, um, we actually looked at the material. And while we didn't remove it, we did look at it and say, you know what, this probably does not belong in the children's collection. And we moved it to, in uh, in most of our libraries, to the teen collection, to the YA, to, to the young adult. Mm -hmm. So... People do have the right to challenge. Challenging library materials is not an innately bad thing. It can be done for bad reasons. And that's one of the things that you're seeing more and more is in public libraries around the country, people aren't challenging books because they've read them. People are challenging books because they saw a list somewhere. And and, and now libraries are having these lists of 100 items handed to them where the the the, the person hasn't even read them. They just have heard that these are bad, and so they want them removed from the library. That's the exact opposite of community involvement. And so, yeah. It, it's, 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 I, from In New York State alone, there's been 33 attempts to restrict access to books. In those 32 challenges, 82 titles have been brought up. So it, it, leads, to me, it leads me to believe that one challenge could involve 10, 15, 20 books, multiple books. And, and have you read all those books? Are you really taking umbrage with, with what's in there and the, within the contents, or is it just a, a something you, you've heard of somewhere and, and, and moving forward with it? Um, my wife and I, we, we have a book for our, our children called Everywhere Babies, a very seemingly innocuous book that they love, uh, written by, I want to give her proper credit, uh, Susan Myers. 
And I, when I found out that it was being targeted in, you guessed it, Florida, a county in Florida, my home, my prior home state, I'm from, I have to say sometimes begrudgingly that I'm from Florida, but in the county down there, they, they challenged the book. I was like, what, what? I've read this. My, my, my three-year-old could recite it. What is, what am I, am I, what, what's questionable here? And it's the imagery. It's little things that really it's, 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 as we mentioned earlier, representation. It's little things that, that were harping on that, that, it's a book with such a beautiful message of just babies everywhere being loved and and cared for. We're seeing now the tentacles of this are are, are wide spanning. Yes. And my when I when that happened, I was I was I'm not gonna lie, I was troubling to know that that we're we're going after things as 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 seemingly innocent as everywhere babies. Yeah, it, it's happening. You know, there's a lot of memoirs that mm -hmm. are that, that are being um, that are being challenged. One of the ones you mentioned was gender queer, mm -hmm. and there's no question that gender queer deals with some extremely it, it just um, some personal. some personal some personal experiences of the author of being non-binary of 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 exploring sexuality of exploring gender, and I'll be honest. Do I think that like every child is ready for that material? No, but I don't think that it's my place to say which children are and which children aren't. No one has that right, and except except the parent, and that's where I, I know I keep coming back to this, but 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 that's where we run into issues. But you do see a lot of the memoirs. It's interesting that so many of the titles that have been challenged. Are memoirs, are nonfiction, are, are, non are explanations of people's lived experiences. A lot of graphic novels. A huge number of graphic novels. I mean, even the, which resonates with with young adults. Yeah, which which is a pivotal time in in conformative years of of, of lives. Yeah. But you see that, like, um, you know, one of the ones that's made a lot of news lately. There's two that I think really awakened people to what's happening with the graphic novels. One was Mouse. Yes, yes. Which was, you know, which has been an allegory for the Holocaust. Yeah, an allegory about the Holocaust. And then another one is actually the graphic novel of the Diary of Anne Frank. That one, that one was surprising to me. I well, saw it also on the outside, and I, I hadn't found it in my, my research. I was like, really, we're we're, we're coming after the, the memoirs of this poor girl. Well, it, it, you know, Anne Frank was a girl who was going through puberty and was mm -hmm. exploring different aspects of her own sexuality, and that is actually in her diaries. And so, in the graphic novel, that is explored. And it was the reality of this person's life. It's the reality of, when you get down to it, many people's lives. Uh, you don't have to be gay. You don't have to be straight. You don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to be Christian. You don't have to be black. You don't have to be white. Everyone has their own unique experiences, but yet there's going to be aspects of those experiences that are going to resonate with someone else, whether it is someone that shares a race or shares a gender or shares a gender identity or a sexuality. And that makes some people uncomfortable. And though that very often is why these items are being banned, is because it makes someone uncomfortable. But when we are removing these items from shelves, what we're essentially telling people is that their lived experience is not as important. Is, is not as important. It's not worth being discussed. Or what's even more scary, that their lived experience is dangerous. Yes. You know, being exposed to someone else's lived experience through reading Guess what? It's not going to make your child gay. It's not going to make your child question 
their gender. That, that That's not how this works. It's it's an issue that I hope we can we can get to a better place. It's a it's it's really been uh, troublesome to see just where we've gone and the slippery slope that we're on. Uh, but I mean, like we said before, we we've we've kind of been through this a little bit, not as to this high of degree. The numbers are pretty staggering, but we've had banned books throughout history. Um, some popular ones that 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 I'm sure everyone's heard of, Frankenstein. I mentioned the aforementioned Light in the Attic by Shel Silverstein, a collection of, of poems. Charlotte's Web, 1984, my favorite, The Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger. Uh, Mouse, which is, I mean, an important, important book. I read that in high school and I was just, I mean, it's a it's an allegory for the Holocaust using mice and cats and and but it's it and and it boils down this huge complex event in our in our human experience and and we're trying to ban that. Uh, and The Color Purple by Alice Walker. Uh, so I ask you, John, your favorite or standout band book is? You know, I, and I think it's because there's so much irony in it. Um, mine is 1984. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was such kind of a prescient book, even if it wasn't right about, you know, 1984. But it was definitely right about... He was talking about 2024. Yes. It, it, <laughs> Not, yeah. it was a few decades it, off. A, a few years, yeah. Yeah, just, just 40 years. Um, although it did lead to a really good Apple commercial, if uh, I've ever seen Yes, it. yes, I know um, that one. The, uh, you know, just how things are explored in that book touches on so many aspects of censorship. Because it doesn't just talk about the censorship where something's removed. It talks about the censorship where something's altered as well. And that is also a form of censorship mm-hmm. where... It, the truth might be presented, but with a twist or where, you know, an article is, you know, very often there, you know, newspeak, it's changed and just something will suddenly be eliminated and no longer exist. That's what we're seeing because that really explores in my mind the that the, the, the censorship is used to control. You know, a lot of times where we talk about it in terms of a person losing their own freedoms to read or to be exposed to an idea. But I think you need to also take it up a level from that as to what is the reason that people are trying to keep mm-hmm. you from from having exposure to that idea. And to be honest, very often it's because they don't like reality. Um, because these ideas that are being suppressed, these ideas that are being censored are a reflection of truth. And when you're removing those, you are you're removing an aspect of truth from people's from people's existence, um, yeah. And so, 1984. That's definitely great one. selection. Great, 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 and very apropos. All right, so we're wrapping up here our interview with John Spears of the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library. But you, just like me, are relatively new to the Western New York area. About a year or so, you mentioned 17 months. But who's counting? Yeah. Uh, your role in public library in the public library system has taken you to many, many, many places. 25 years, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And doing this since 1998. Wow. So you've seen a lot of changes, a lot of different places. What makes Buffalo and Western New York residents or specifically their readers different from those found in, in the places you've been? Wow. That's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, you know, this city coming to Buffalo when I came, it was, you know, I, I heard City of Good Neighbors and all of that. I heard about the food. I heard about, <laughs> heard about the Bills fans. And all of that I've seen is really true. Um, you know, this city, there's no question, 
that it has issues that it needs to deal with, like any other Rust Belt city. Um, But it does seem to be a city that wants to try. And it does seem to be a city that is is looking towards the future. Um, I live on, on, on the west side, and that's actually a pretty encouraging place to live. Mm-hmm. Um, on the west side is where I really see, you know, kind of what this city can be. You see diversity. You see people of, of all races living together and sharing spaces, which to me is what is always wonderful to see, mm-hmm. is to see people share, people from a whole range of backgrounds sharing a space. That is, I think, what, you know, that's when you talk goal. about equity, diversity, inclusion, that's the goal, is to have a shared, a shared neighborhood, a shared space, a shared identity. And I see that that is the desire of a large part of this community. And I'm really really hopeful. Um, living in Buffalo, it, you know, it, this city, it was an interesting year for your first year. And interesting is such a horrible word to use. when Eventful. Uh, eventful and tragic, you know, from the events of May 14th to, you know, a, a, a blizzard that killed dozens of people here. You know, in, in, in 2022 and 2023, we had a blizzard that killed dozens of people. That's you know, that that shows the inequities in 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 Buffalo and in the in, in the larger community in the United States. While there were those tragedies, you didn't see what you see in so many other cities, where there was a reaction of hostility or violence. Um, this was a city that came together in a way that I think was was remarkable, and I. For me, I don't want to define this city solely by the tragedies experience. I want to define it by how it responded to those tragedies. And that response could be a model for so many other people, so many other places about the fact that when you go through a tragedy, you can hopefully learn, which we will be doing for decades around May 14th and around the blizzard, but that you can progress and that you can realize that there's a shared humanity that that brings people together. I know that was probably a lot more than you were looking no, for. No, your question. not at all. That was yeah. wonderful. I was going to say, I was looking for the readers, see what they like, they yeah. gravitate, but no, that oh, is sorry. exactly, exactly perfect. Uh, I want to give you a moment, actually, if, if, if folks want to know more about the library, about, uh, about this, the library system, everything, because it's not just here, it's 37 total libraries in the in the area that that are available it's free i think i think that goes without saying but we got to say it anyway it is a free service public service to everyone uh but around band book week and beyond where can they find, seek out more information about you know the best place is our website www.buffalolib.org and you can find out everything from the locations of our 37 libraries um their hours phone numbers um, the programs that they offer, we have a calendar of events. You can search our catalog. You can get explanations of all the services. But if you can't do that, you know, just just, just give us a call. Um, you know, we have libraries in uh, pretty much every community in, in Erie County, and each of them is unique. Um, you know, we're not cookie cutter libraries. Mm. Um, Grand Island is different than Boston. Yeah. It is different. Yep. <laughs> is, is, you know, it's different than Cheektowaga. It's different than Tonawanda. Um, 
and you know the the, the many neighborhoods of Buffalo. And so every library is going to serve its community in the best way that it can. But when you bring us all together, we're the Buffalo and Erie County Public Library, and we're all here to serve everyone in Erie County. John Spears, thank you so much for joining us on What's Next. Thank you. We'll be back with more What's Next after this. You're listening to What's Next, our place to discuss the important issues of our communities of Western New York and Southern Ontario. We want to hear from you. Click on the Talk to Us option in the WBFO app, and we will work to get your questions or comments on the air. Do you have a story or concern that we should be addressing? Email us using whatsnext at wbfo.org. Together, we'll have the conversations that are needed. This is WBFO, your NPR station. Thank you for joining us on What's Next. A program note that since this conversation aired earlier today, the event that Madge Whiskey is discussing with us has since been canceled. We thought, though, that this conversation regarding Madge Whiskey's close friend, Pearl Young, was important to air. So thank you for bearing with us, and this is What's Next. On What's Next, we talk with Madge Whiskey today. Madge is involved in a lot of efforts around the city of Buffalo, for sure. Madge, thanks for finding some time to come in and talk to us. Thank you so very much, Jay. I really appreciate this opportunity that you all have given me. You, Charles, Anjali, WFOI, I really, really appreciate it. Oh, well, I most certainly appreciate your time, like I said, because you're here you have in front of you three different uh, pieces of paper about a couple of different things that are going on. I want to talk first and foremost about the Pearl Young Memorial Concert for Community Healing. Of course, uh, we know who Pearl was. Pearl was one of the Jefferson Tenants. You just told me before we went on the air here, reminded me of that, of course. Pearl was a very, very close friend of yours. Yes, sir. Pearl Young was not just one of the Jefferson Ten, but she was a very involved person, both in the religious circle with Church of God in Christ. She was a member of the Good Samaritan Church under the leadership of her brother, Bishop Glenwood H. Young Sr. She was over our missionary board. She was over our pantry. She was the person who prepared different dishes for the children every Sunday morning for them to have at Sunday school. And then in the secular world, she was also a teacher's aide. And she will go into the schools and she will tell them, give me the children who are a challenge. <laughs> and she would, she would be with those children. You know, she did tell me a few years ago that she was going back in at, what, 70, over 70 years. She was, and she said two days. Her two days end up five days. So when this tragedy happened, she was with the Emerson School. So Pearl Young has been an awesome person. And so we just don't like to say the Jefferson 10 because sometimes it sounds so detached. Sure. But these are individuals who have impacted so many lives, their family lives, their secular lives, and Pearl was truly one of them. What, uh, it was interesting to hear you talk about how she would go into the public schools and say, give me the most challenging ones. What kind of characteristic is there, was there in Pearl <laughs> that, that drove her to want to do that? Because that, that would be the place I think most people would run away from. I think she just cared about young people. Even though she was a senior, 
she still taught the children at Sunday school. Something about children impacted her life. And one day we were speaking, and I said the same question you asked me, I asked her, I said, <laughs> um, Sister Pearl, why the challenging children? She said, because sometimes nobody listens to them. Mm. Everybody labels them. So if they can get somebody who would listen to them, that helps. And she said it has been helping. So she will take those that are, were told, get out of class, go to whatever room, and she will say, I'll take them. Mm. And it, it helped. So she just had that loving, caring, compassionate way about her for children. And you, that were, was poor young. And you were telling me a story. Before, I, don't, I don't necessarily want to keep bringing up these difficult memories, but you were telling me a story before we went on the air about how one of the students at Emerson responded once they yes. realized Pearl uh, had been yeah, one of the victims. This young man, he was a child in my daycare. And besides being a child at my daycare, he also came to Sunday school with me. And um, he met Sister Pearl. So the day after the tragedy, he walked into the school and he saw her picture up on the wall at the school. And it really affected him to the point that they had to call us to tell us. And he called me and he said, they called me grandma. He said, grandma, was Sister Pearl one of the Jefferson 10? And that really, really affected his life. And even after I spoke with him, he said, it's not just me, Grandma. It's like all the kids in the school have been affected by Sister Pearl, as they call her, Auntie Pearl, because when they get to know she was one of the Jefferson 10. It's nice that you and others have uh, decided to put together this concert. Let's get into the specifics of a little bit about what we can expect. It's a Klein Hands musical, is that right? Yes. The concert is going to be a Klein Hands musical. One of the endeavors is that to keep the memory of Pearl Young alive. She was into food, into cooking, into pantry, into giving out food stuff. So we are endeavoring to build what is called a Pearl Young food pantry. And so every fundraiser that we do, we are using that money towards erecting that pantry in Pearl Young's name. The foundation has already been set up, Pearl Young Food Pantry Incorporated. There is a bank account at Key Bank. Oh, good. All yes, right, good. there is. So anyone could go to any Key Bank and deposit money into the Pearl Young Food Pantry Incorporated. Ah. So the, the account has been set up at Key Bank. And on the 29th of September, we are going to have a gospel concert in memory of Pearl Young and also to raise funds towards building the food pantry. The entry to that concert is $20. We are asking everyone to give a $20 donation. Anyone want to give more? <laughs> You're more than welcome. We are going to be having... um. Henry Star Muhammad, and if anyone knows him, he is an awesome violinist. So he's going to be there. He just don't play the violin himself, but he teaches children to play the violin, and he's awesome. And we're also going to have Kamira Latimore, one of Buffalo's best singers. She's going to be there, and we are going to have others 
who are going to come and participate. The group from the church that Sister Pearl was a member of, the um, Good Samaritan Church of God in Christ, that praise team is going to be there also. One of her nieces, we are hoping she's going to be there, Michelle Frison. So it's a lot of people we are expecting that evening at Klein Hands Music Hall. Do you have any expectations for the night? I mean, I know, I'm sure you're going to have a good crowd, but maybe the, the emotion that might be around that particular night, I mean, is it? do you think it's going to be a, an uplifting moment or could it maybe be something that is a little more reflective than that? I think it's, it's, it's going to be a combination of both. I think coming in there and knowing that this is in memory of Pearl Young and to keep her name alive and reflecting on how she passed, it's going to be emotional for some. But what we are attempting to do is to show that vibrant side of Pearl Young for the listeners who are of the Pentecostal movement and know how Pentecostals become emotional in church <laughs> and they do the shout as they call it, that was Pearl Young. The week before the tragedy, we had one of our meetings at our church. She had her particular seat that she sits on. She comes in, she sits on the left-hand side at the end. The week of that service, she went over on the right-hand side, and he said every night of that service, Sister Pearl was up in the church, and she was just dancing and dancing, and everybody's like, okay, she's on the opposite side, and she just keeps dancing. And then the Saturday morning of the tragedy, she went to a poor breakfast, and imagine you're in a prayer breakfast where you're eating and praying, and Sister Paul was up in the prayer breakfast dancing. And then as she left the prayer breakfast and went to Tufts, that's when this happened. So the week leading up to the tragedy and even the morning of the tragedy, those who saw her saw the pearl, that vibrant, jubilant, this person who just, she was just excited about everything. So at least her last days were seen as, Pearl Young, the dancer. Madge Whiskey, could you relate the story of how you met Pearl Young, if you don't mind? It was quite it's quite a story. Okay, I came to Buffalo a little over thirty years ago from Trinidad. And um I came off the train at the corner of Maine and Humboldt. So I was walking towards Kensington and I saw this lady standing on the Viaduct with a sign in her hand that said stop. So I stopped because I figured it had to be something to do with religion. So when I stopped, I said, what would your stop sign? And she goes, just what you did. You stopped and you asked me. And then I said, okay. And she says, well, um, I don't have to tell you why I have it. I said, why not? <laughs> she said, because you look like you're a Christian. <laughs> I, said, <laughs> I said, well, yes, I am. So then she said, well, when people stop and ask me why I'm here with a stop sign, I'll just say to them, stop, you need Jesus. And that's all she was doing. So um, we spoke for a while and then I left her. A little while after, I went to take membership at Bishop's Young Church, Good Samaritan. I walked into the church and I saw Sister Pearl there. 
she was a member of the church, and I'm like, that's a lady with a stop sign. <laughs> <laughs> so every time I think about her, I think about the fact that even before I met her in the church setting, I met her on a curb witnessing <laughs> just with a stop sign. <laughs> <laughs> I know you can't necessarily speak for Pearl. You can speak for yourself. And you talked about the spiritual element of what drives you. And I assume that would be the same with Pearl. But at the same time, you know, in the community, the East Side community, there is a lot of need. Is that as much a drive to keep pushing, to keep going, to do as much as you can? That's the motivation. And sometimes when I myself get tired or want to give up, I will think about Sister Pearl. Because I remember when we were at our original church on Leroy, I will go there on Saturday mornings to help with the food pantry. Every morning, Sister Pearl is there, packing the bags, giving out the food. And I said, you know, this is one of the ways to keep her legacy going. I know if she was here right now and knew that I had this, um, the mission department had this drive for the winter for hot scarf, she would be going all over and literally commanding people to give. You need to give a hat. You need to give a glove. You need to give a... That was the type of person she was. You know, she just did everything she knew how, you know, to keep ministering to the needs of others. What do you see at the food pantry? Is the need still as great as ever? The need is great, and the need is even greater. Hmm. It is greater from when we had it on Leroy... Um, some years ago, some people don't realize how many people in Buffalo is in need. You have to be out there to understand. I know sometimes I speak to some people and they will see, well, there are social services. There are areas that they can go to. But um, I realize that sometimes you get so much and no more. And if we as a Christian body or we are Buffalo, as they say, the city of good neighbors, could understand there are people out there who may not be as fortunate as we are, who may not be able to get the things that we may be able to get, then we'll understand the need to give. And, you know, as I said before, one of my, I am a minister of religion. I've been in ministry since I'm 19 years hmm. old. I'm not going to tell you how young I am. <laughs> but, um, You're younger than me, I think. <laughs> but um, when I look at some children in the winter without a hat, without a mitten, without a glove, without a scarf, without a winter boot, some of them no socks, you know, and we can blame the parents but we don't know their living conditions. We don't know what has happened in their lives that caused the situation to be as it is. So what we are attempting to do from Kojic World Missions, jurisdiction number two, Western New York, the, the Pearl Young Food Pantry, we are trying with everything we know how to help fulfill the needs for others. And so now let's, so we have a winter hat, scarf, and glove drive going on right now? It is going on right now. People have already started to give. Okay, good. And I am, um, should I use the word begging? <laughs> <laughs> the city of good neighbors, please support us with this drive. 
we are going to be making our first distribution on the third Tuesday of October at the Women's Shelter on North. Okay. So we'll be taking boxes there for them, for the children, so that they can be suited up for the cold weather that is coming in. And even after we distribute, we are going to keep the drive going through the winter. So as the need arises, we would be able to help those that are in need. Because the one thing we know about the Buffalo winter, it doesn't get warmer, does it? No, it doesn't. No. Oh, that was a rude awakening for me. <laughs> yes, yes, coming from Trinidad. <laughs> uh, new and used, or do we just want new? Uh... We prefer new okay. because we don't want people bringing used that they have sentimental attachments to, and it have been overworn. Right. So we prefer new. If you have used that is like new, we are willing to accept it. What's the, what are the, is our drop-off spots or just one place? We did have some phone numbers on our flyer. Okay. That they can call these people if they want to, anyone to pick up. Also, I gave the address where, on Berkshire, 437 Berkshire. And then just recently, we have put two boxes at the Good Samaritan Church of God in Christ, 261 Cleveland Drive okay, right. in Chictawaga. And anyone can drop off there on a Sunday between the hours of 11 a.m. and 1 p.m. So that's a drop-off point. Sundays, you can come there. There are two boxes, one at the front door, one at the side door. And you can drop off at Good Samaritan and Cleveland Drive. And you already started it. Uh, any people stepping forward yet and helping out? Yes. Really? Yes. People are calling. People are giving. On Saturday, I got a lot of scarves. So people are already fulfilling the need. It's interesting to hear how you talk about some you see children without hats and some I think I remember when I was a kid, I didn't want to wear a hat. I don't, <laughs> not like that anymore. But you need, like you said, no, no socks sometimes. Is it that startling to see? Is it that rare to see? Or do you see that with some frequency? I see it with frequency. And it is sad. You know, at times when I see it, it hurts me. And I'm not saying this in a bad way. I'm from the tropics. I'm from Trinidad, a tropical climate. And I came into Buffalo, and I got some rude awakening as far as the winter is concerned. Right. You know, and when I understood how brutal some of our winters can be and seeing children standing by a street corner waiting for a bus and their fingers are going numb because they don't have not even a little mitten you know, it grieves me. So this drive that we have started is not just going to be for 2023. We are going to keep this drive going for as long as I'm alive and hope somebody will pick up the mantle after me. But this is a need. This is not just an emotional expression. Oh, let's do something for get some hats and scalp. No, this is a need in Buffalo. And you said you, you're going to start with the distribution at the women's shelter on North. Yes. Uh, will you be going to other places to, to uh, distribute these as well, or is that going to be kind of like the center for all this that activity? Gonna, that is going to be one of the distribution points. Okay. 
One of the other places that we are attempting to distribute among is the refugees among us. Hmm. One of the things we have realized that a lot of the refugees came in from tropical places. And some of them, the only snow they have ever seen might have been on a television. Right. So some of them, it's going to be tough. So we are hoping that we get enough so that we can go to some of these refugee places and help out the need there also. We're talking with uh, Madge Whiskey on what's next here on WBFO. Madge, if you don't mind, could you? You said you became a Pentecostal at age nineteen. What can you? What can you share with us about that journey? I mean, if you don't mind, I mean, it's a very personal thing, of course, but at the same time, it's it's a huge part of your life. Well. Not that I became a Pentecostal at 19. At 19, I went into Bible seminary. Oh, wow. Okay, wow. <laughs> when everyone else was deciding what they were going to do with their future, <laughs> right? what their profession would have been, I went into Bible seminary. I was in an automobile accident at the age of nine mm. back in Trinidad, and they determined I wasn't going to live. So I stayed in a coma for about two weeks, they asked my parents where they wanted me to die, and my parents chose for me to die at home. But God saw it fit that I had to be in Buffalo and meet with Jay and Charles <laughs> and Angeli. <laughs> so he said, well, hold up. I ain't ready for her in heaven yet. Just let me let her stay a little while longer to get to cold Buffalo. So at the age of nine, I accepted Christ as my Savior. And um, I was in the Pentecostal movement. My mother was a Pentecostal. And then when I finished one area of my studies, I decided to go into Bible seminary. So I have my degree in theology. You have a doctorate in theology? No, yeah. my doctorate is in sociology. Oh, wow. Okay. And then I continued studying, got my doctorate, and I came up here, continued studying, and then I got my degree in psychology, Christian counseling, Biblical counseling. That's a lot of degrees. I was just going to say, do you ever sleep, Madge? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but but um, so that, that has been my journey. And my passion has always been to help the less fortunate. I always figure if I think my situation is bad, there's somebody worse than me. So I always seek to help somebody else. That's me by nature. Mm -hmm. And you're helping people out with this um, hat, scarf, and glove drive, but of course also the concert, or the Pearl Young Memorial Concert for Community Healing. And we talked about that at the start of, the, of our conversation. Let's make sure that we repeat it and make sure that everybody knows what, we're, what this is all about coming up at Klein Hands. Okay, I'm calling on Buffalo. Buffalo, the city of good neighbors. We are having a concert at the Klein Hands Music Hall, 29th of September, 8 p.m. Doors would be open at 7 p.m. And this is the fundraiser that will help us to build the Pearl Young Food Pantry. There are going to be a lot of people there who are going to be ministering in song, as I said before, Henry Muhammad. Camira Lattimore and others are going to be there. We are asking Buffalo, please, to support this. This is to keep the dream, the vision, 
the memory of Pearl Young alive, and not just Pearl Young, but every one of those who have been affected. It is sad to say that with the Jefferson 10, three of those people were connected with the Church of God in Christ. So it's not just Pearl Young. On Sunday evening, I ministered. I had to speak at the State Tabernacle. I stood in for a friend. And State Tabernacle, what the gentleman... Uh, Mr. McNeil, is that it? Or um, uh, Morrison, Marcus Morrison? Peterson. Oh, oh uh, uh, Patterson, Hayward Patterson. Patterson, Hayward, Hayward Patterson. Patterson. Okay. He's from State Tabernacle. And then the um, Salter. Oh, Aaron Salter. Or Aaron Salter is an in-law of a member from uh-huh. our church. That's so good. three people with connections from Church of God in Christ has been affected by this. So my heart goes out to every one of their family. I pray for them. You know, I cannot understand their pain. I can understand my pain because I've lost a friend. I've lost a sister. I've lost a prominent member in our church. You know, as I said, I've lost the dancer, the shouter, that vibrant person, you know. So what we are attempting to do, it's not an event for people to come to be sad and sorrowful. Right. We are hoping people will come with the spirit of Sister Pearl and be jubilant, excited, sing, join in. Again, I'm repeating it. The 29th of September at Klein Hans. Madge Whiskey, I so appreciate you coming in and uh, talking with us today. Thank you, Jay. I really appreciate it. I thank you all for giving me this opportunity where we can speak on a topic that has affected not just Buffalo, but the world, the entire world. And we are going to heal together, continue to heal together. Thank you so very much, Jay. Thank you for your kind thoughts and ambitions, Madge Whiskey. This is What's Next on WBFO.